we know that we are compelled by Christ to move beyond just these four walls as a church. And we want to be a church that continues to look beyond our walls with the love of Jesus to bless the socks off this community. And as a church, we feel led to be a church that is for the good of our city. Well, listen, my name is Maurice. I'm one of the pastors here on staff and I have the awesome opportunity to be with you on today. And also for everybody that even listening to a podcast or whether you're watching this online, um, it's a beautiful thing to be in this space and to be able to be with you on this morning. Um, when, they talk, when we talk about being global though, um, we are a St. Community Church and we do our very best uh, to make sure that we are aware of the things that's also taking place globally. And the tough part about being in the Christian space or in a space in general is that um, when you have to live in the tension of two different things, but we don't shy away from that. And today we live in the tension of being excited to go global to, global to Cuba, um, but we also recognize and have an awareness of certain things that's happening globally even today. Some of you may even know as you've entered into this space what's taking place in Turkey and in Syria. As a staff and as a team, we started talking about this moment in church on today, on Thursday, and the death toll was hovering around 18,000. Yesterday I looked and it was increasing and it was above 28,000 people made in the image of God and gone too soon. And so today, as we step into this hard place, as we step into this place of tension, uh, we are a community that will never stop believing in the power of prayer. And not just for those who have lost their lives, but for the community, the trauma that has been impacted for all of those that are even surrounding those with the death toll of more than 28,000 people. So today, would you enter into a space with me of continuing to believe in the power of prayer and believe that Jesus sits on the throne and Jesus sits in a place of sovereignty. And even when we're confused, even when we're perplexed, even when we have questions, even when we have doubt, we can bring all of those things to Jesus. So would you bow your heads with this morning as we pray? God, Syria and Turkey, people made in your image from a natural disaster have gone too soon. And in this perplexity of not knowing what to do as a nation that is distant from it all, may you continue to allow us to not grow fatigue in having compassion for those that are overseas, having compassion for those who are globally our neighbor. We believe in power of prayer, but yet, Lord, some of us are feeling hopeless. Some of us are feeling a little bit tired from it all. Would you comfort not only us, but would you comfort that community? Would you wrap your arms around those people made in your image and may they feel you like never before. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, some of you know that we have been in a series now entitled For the Good of Our City. And I'm excited about today because I get to continue into that series. The very first week, our lead pastor Bill kicked off this series and really leaned into the language of for the good of our city, why we even chose that. We are excited about that because it's one of those things that we started to see and put language to who are we at Ascent? What is it that we do? What is it that God has called us to do? And when we started looking at our DNA and we started looking at our past years, we started to see how God has called us to be a people for the good of our city. But it's not just who we were and who we are currently, but we're excited about this entire series because it's a series full of vision and full of vision casting of not only where we are today, but where is God calling us in? Where is God pulling ascent to in the future? What type of church will this be in five years? What will the city look like if we started to really embrace being a people that's not just for the four walls of all the people that's here, but actually for the good of our city? We started to put some theology behind it, some, of, some groundwork of scripture behind it. And, and we'll see in Jeremiah chapter 29, it, it says uh, the, the words of seeking the prosperity of the city, seeking the good and the prosperity of our city. This is important because we will always root ourselves in scripture. Last week, John, one of the other pastors on staff, he started to talk about what that looks like as it relates to the inner work of being for the good of our city. Like this idea of before I start charging out there, before I start moving out there, have I gone inward? Have I done some of the inner 
work. And today, this, uh, this week, I get a chance to lean into that same heartbeat of some of the things that we've been talking about. But in particular, I get a chance to lean into it in late, as it relates to the topic of reconciliation. What does it mean to be for the good of our city, but under the umbrella of reconciliation? This morning, I'm very clear. I, I want to make sure that I am speaking to those that are you in the room, that you call yourself a follower of Jesus. This is going to be a family meeting this morning, y'all. I want to bring you to the family meeting, to the family table, that already when I said reconciliation, some of y'all got a little eerie. I want you to bring you to the family table, and it's at the family table where growing up for me, some of the hard conversations were had. Not only were there good conversations, not only at the family table were there moments where my dad started telling us what the family trip was going to be for that summer or what exciting new you know, motorcycle toy that we got for the family or the new dog and the puppy that ran in. It was also those moments at the family table that I met my stepsister for the very first time at 17 years old. It's also at the family table that I wrestled through hard things. Today is a family meeting that I want to press us all into because when I look at a table theology, when I look at Jesus, and when I look at even that moment of the Last Supper, yes, it was joyous, it was full of feasts, but you got to remember who was at the table. It was a tax collector and a zealot, and Jesus says, and we're a family. Two groups of people that hated each other, two groups of people that would call themselves enemies, two groups of people that had division amongst them, and yet Jesus says, we're sitting down at this table we're going to have a family meeting. This morning, I want to speak to you around a family meeting of racial reconciliation. If you're a person in the room that is not a person who would consider yourself a Christian, maybe you're trying this thing out. Maybe you're kind of figuring out, I, don't, I wonder, what is this church stuff all about? What is this Jesus? Well, like, what does this church actually believe? Like, I see tons of churches. I watch the news. They throw all sorts of words around. Like, what, what actually are you all about? I think you have a great position uh, in this morning because you get a chance to be my little sister this morning. What do I mean by my little sister? My little sister was the only person I was able to get up from the table and leave the hard conversations. She was too young for some of the hard conversations. But what she did was she would go to the stairs and she would lean in and listen to what was going on in the family conversation. And she would then ask questions afterwards. What does this mean? What, what happened? Why, why are you crying? What is this going on? If you're a person who's kind of skeptical of it all or kind of just trying it out or trying to see where you even land as it relates to your spiritual journey, I would encourage you to put your ear towards this family meeting on today. And for the rest of us, I want, to just want you to hear my heart around this sort of pastoral passion that I'm going to have this morning, this journey as we all are stepping in this morning, that I'm excited that we get a chance to talk about this. Because as a church community, we will always lean into hard conversations. Now, let me be very clear. This is not angry black man church morning on today, okay? I'm excited about where God is calling us and what we get a chance to do. I can already feel, you didn't even laugh. You can already you can laugh. It's, not, it's okay. We're, we're in this together this morning. And what I'm excited about is where God is calling us. One of my uh, uh, sort of uh, mentors, who I would say, uh, is one who's like, I would say like a distant mentor. I watch him virtually a lot. It's Pastor uh, Brian Loritz. And one of the things that he talks about is well, a friend would ask him every so often as sort of an icebreaker question, if you could go back in time, what era would you live in? He's like, as a black man? Right now. <laughs> what do you want me to say? 1800s? 1920s, no, 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 right now. And he says that because he's like, I'm excited about the progress we have made. We have made leaps and bounds to where we have come as a nation and as a community, and yet we have so much more work to do. So this morning, like my father would tell me whenever I wanted to get up from the table of being uncomfortable and moving from the family table, he would say, boy, sit your behind down. And this morning, I want to look at you and say, no, I'm not going to say that to you. I'm not going to say that to you. I'm not saying that to you. But I am going to say, let us stay at the table longer than what's comfortable. That's the language that we're using on today, okay? Let me pray for our morning again. I want to pray again as we just settle ourselves into this moment. Because here's what I know to be true. Here's what I know to be true. I know that uh, we enter into some of these spaces around this, and some of us are, or all of us are all charged up. 
And we're charged up by things that we've seen on TV, things that's happening in culture, politics this and left this and right that. And we're, we're charged up around this conversation. And yet I want to press in and just have a moment of pause, slow us down, and engage with God's word together. To say, what is God calling a St. Community Church to be for such a time as this? Would you bow your heads with me as I pray? God, we slow ourselves down. We ask you to massage our hearts, to open up our minds, open up our ears. Lord, let, me, let, us, let us just take a deep breath in you, God, to, to, to relax and to see what is it as a church community, what does that actually mean for us? What does reconciliation really mean for us? And we put our hope and trust in you. We put our efforts in you, God. We are putting our trust in you. It's not a Maurice thing. It's not a black thing. It's not a white thing. It's not an Asian thing. Lord, we are putting our faith in you. We're trusting in where you are leading our community. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Her name is Sojourner Truth a black woman who was an abolitionist. It's a famous story that Sojourner Truth stands up in the middle of a meeting where Frederick Douglass is giving a speech to a group of people. And in this speech where Frederick Douglass is addressing the, the woes of slavery and addressing what it meant to be an enslaved people, and it was in this moment that as Frederick Douglass is giving a speech, so Joyner Truth, a black woman, stands up in a room of primarily all black men, and she stands up and she asks Frederick a question. She says, Frederick, is God dead? This morning, Ascent, I ask a similar question for us. A question that changed the entire room of where Frederick Douglass was giving this speech. It, it shifted the environment. It changed the atmosphere. It was a reorienting. It shifted the awakening of the people that was in the room when she asked this question. And the question that I have for us this morning is, Ascent, is reconciliation dead? This is a question that I ask for us because I think it is important for us to think about. It's important for, for, important for us to really to ponder as a community. But, but if we're going to be a church that is for the good of our city, I actually ask that question for us to ponder. But I also ask that question and I wonder what people in the city would say. Not, not us church folk who, who are all dressed up and we try to hide behind a mask and like we got it all together. Not, not us church folk who come in here on Sundays. I'm, I'm, I wonder what the city would say. If we were to ask the question, is reconciliation dead? What would those in the black community in Longmont and in Denver and in Boulder say to the question, is racial reconciliation dead? What would those in our brothers and sisters within the Latino and Latina community that live in Erie and live in Lafayette and, and that live in Westminster and Arvada, what would they say to the question, is racial reconciliation dead? What would those within the Asian community say around that question? What would our people in First Nation indigenous people of this land say around the question, is racial reconciliation dead? I ask that question because if we're going to be for the good of our city, I think it's important to hear what those who are in our cities might say to that question. And some of you in the room, you're thinking to yourself, well, Maurice, you didn't say, what about the white community? And what would they say to this question? Let me be very clear this morning. No particular one race has a monopoly on racism. But I ask that question because I am aware of the context in which we sit. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is one that always pushed majority culture, dominant culture to the margins. 
always ask those who were in power to press themselves to the margins, press themselves to the voices of the minorities. Maurice, I don't believe you. Well, you look in the book of James and you say the fatherless and the widow and the children and the poor. James addresses this crowd. You see in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is articulating a particular parable and he's talking to a group of religious people, church-going people, people that found themselves in the synagogue and he's addressing them and he gives them one of them slingers. Jesus was cold-blooded with the scripture, y'all. He, he, he was one that would take it and just go ahead and, and when you thought that you were so high and mighty, he had a way of humbling you. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 25, he says, uh, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. And then they ask a question, Jesus, when did we do that? When were you naked? When were you hungry? When were you in prison and we came to visit you? Jesus says, whatever you do to the least of these, you have done unto me. Whatever you have done to the marginalized, you have done to me. Whatever you have done to those who find themselves on the border, you have done unto me. Whatever you have done unto those who are pushed out and are pushed to the edges, you have done unto me. This is an invitation that Jesus is pulling the crowd to those who may be voiceless, that those who may have been oppressed. He's calling all people to make sure we are putting our attention to the voice of the voiceless. And it's not so much of what you thought about those that were on the margins. It says what you've done. N not your thoughts and prayers. Ooh, I'm gonna get myself in trouble this morning, church community. <laughs> not the thoughts and prayers where we sit up in our houses and we sit up in our suburbs and we, we just think about those who are pushed aside. We just think about those who have brutality against them. We just think about those. No, 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 no. We are pressing into what God says, doing justice. Micah 6.8 says, walk humbly with the Lord, love mercy and do justice. James in his book says, don't just be hearers of the word. Don't just come to church and keep hearing words. Don't just come to church and keep listening to another podcast. Don't just keep turning on YouTube and listening to the word. Faith is a place of action. What have you done? This morning, this is the conversation. This is the family meeting that we press ourselves into. And let me be very clear that if you are trying to consider or think about what is a, what is a sin, what, what type of church is it, what, what are they doing, what are, they, are they left, are they right, are they, are they this, before you try to box us into anything, let me be very clear. All of the efforts that we're doing around Black History Month, the things that we're doing that, that we are acknowledging, some things that's in the pipeline as it relates to um, doing some different interviews with the Jewish community, be very clear that this is not some attempt at trying to be woke. This is not an attempt to try to be culturally relevant or trendy or, or try to pander to a particular political side of things. Let me be very clear. We are compelled by the love of Jesus Christ and motivated by the life that Jesus lived that we are not just going to be a people and a community that hear, but actually we're going to be a community that does. Amen, somebody. That is for the good of our city. And so before you try to think about what is this, is it you, are you a CNN person? Are you a Fox person? Are you this person? Are you left? Are you right? Before you try to box anybody in, let us be very clear. We ground ourselves from a scriptural theological point of view. And while everybody got their jerseys on, and then the Raiders fans in the room, I'm sorry, I ain't got no reconciliation for you. I got to, you got to go. You got to go. You got to go. God's still working on my heart in that area. We got all of our jerseys on, all our NFL jerseys and, and team jerseys on and things like that. We must be very clear that on the back of our spiritual jerseys is Team Jesus. 
And this is what guides us. This is our outline. This is our framework. This is our motivation. This is our heart posture. We look at his life. And before you say amen too quickly, he lived a life that was countercultural. He lived a life that was radical. He lived a life that wasn't just hearers of the word, but he started to do justice. He looked out for those who were in Samaria. He looked out for those who were not only the Jew, but also the Gentile. He reconciled all of us unto him. And this morning, I want to root us in a theological framework, and then I want to give us a few, a, a, I would say, evaluation markers. I want to root us in the theology framework, and then give us a few evaluation markers. Uh, pick me up in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is going to be one where we are found, uh, excuse me, rooting ourselves for this entire morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 says these words. For it is Christ's love that compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we were once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. The new humanity, the new family of God is here. All of this is from God. Watch this. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, he didn't just stop there, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors that though God, though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. It says that Christ has reconciled the world to him. On the cross, Jesus Christ has reconciled all people groups. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor barbarian. He, we see in scripture that he, divide, he broke down all of the dividing walls and he has reconciled all of humanity unto him. This is the finished work of Jesus Christ. But in order to see the finished work, in order to see what Jesus actually did on this earth, he gives us the ministry and message of reconciliation. It says that God, Jesus Christ, has given us the ministry of reconciliation. How many of us see our lives and see it as a ministry? How many of us look at our, our families and see our families as a ministry? How many of us look at our marriages and, and, and the conversation within our marriage is a conversation of the ministry that God has given us? How many of us look at our communities and see it through a lens of a ministry? Not a vocational ministry, not a church is on your W-2. No, no, no. God has given all people the ministry of reconciliation. What does our ministries look like? What is that ministry that God has given us? What is it? How would it measure up today? What does it look like to actually see the work that Jesus did on the cross? If we're going to see it down here on earth, then that means that our ministries of reconciliation have to be active and alive. It was 2016 when I first moved here. Some of you know uh, my story. It was 2016 when I first moved here and, and I was in the very first time in ministry. I never even knew about ministry. I, well, I knew about ministry, I didn't know about vocational ministry. And my very first time, I moved here in, 20, uh, excuse me, in 2016, and me and my wife, Aisha, we were there, and, and, and we came out here as high school directors. If you, some of you may not know that. I've been here six years, almost seven years now, and I first initially came out here as a high school director. 
And I didn't know nothing about ministry. It was a brand new first time for me. I jumped out here, and after that very first year of being in full-time ministry, um, I had to go and sit down with Bill, Jim, who was the founding pastor, and Beth, who was our executive pastor. Now, whenever you sit down with all three at that time, it, it, it was like, all right, I'm being fired. I didn't, I didn't do my job. Something went wrong. I, I forgot a kid on a mission trip. I don't know. Like, what, what happened where I got to sit down with everybody? And I sit down with everybody, and they say, okay, Maurice, well, uh, we have your evaluation, your yearly evaluation. And I'm like, my yearly evaluation? Oh, I got to do a yearly evaluation. And so they sat me down and they started to talk about all of the things that happened in that past year. You, Maurice, we have given you this ministry. We have given you responsibility. We have given you a, a, a sort of duty to disciple, to develop, to lead, to train leaders, to do all of these things. And now we have to evaluate what you have done. I remember this was a moment where, you know, you know they call it, sometimes they call it a, a like, sort of like crap sandwich where they like, well, so you started off good and, you know, you did this good here, you did this good here. And then they get to that part where you're not so good. And they start telling you, you know, they're giving you them, giving them cues. This is one of the corporate America cues where they just like, you know, uh, here's your areas of growth. <laughs> AKA, you suck in this area. You know, I'm just kidding. I'm serious. But like, here's where you need to really do some work. You, you got to do some work. This is your blind spot. This is where you need to develop. And I mean, this is a moment where they went in. They went in, y'all. I remember Bill. I see you, Bill. But I remember Bill. He's in the back. But Bill, I remember I'm the high school pastor. I'm the high school director at the time. And literally, he's like, how many times have you been to campus? I'm like, I ain't never been to any of the campuses. How are you going to be a high school pastor? You've never visited any of the campuses. You haven't done any. Like, what do you do? I mean, he's just railing me. Talking about all the things. I was like, man, I didn't even do that. How are you going to reach students? You're not even where students are. Like you got to, I mean, he's just going in in his own bill way. Then Jim came and then Beth came from the left. And then it was just like, you know, a, a game just taking punches. And I remember this. I'm like, oh my goodness. Now listen, I'm going to do a little moment of confession with y'all. Okay. A little moment of confession. Don't judge me. Okay. Because I know you got mess and I got mess too. Okay. So here, here's the thing. Where I grew up, the moments where you are so vulnerable and so exposed, those moments where the, the, the friend group is just like making fun of you, going in on you, bullying you, making jokes, all the different things. When your back is against the wall, you only got two words back where I'm from that you've shaped by, that you are like that helps you get out of the corner. I mean, especially when they start saying stuff and it's true. Like where I come from, like, you know, it, it is a bad thing to walk around in public ashy. Okay, that's a black person thing. I, like, white people call it dry skin or, or flaky. We see it on ourselves. I mean, you got ashy elbows. It's sort of like buildup of dry skin, and it just looks bad. Somebody call you ashy, ooh. Especially if it's true, you look down, and it's just all ashy on your knees. So where I'm from, where I grew up, kids, you know, if they say it, you know, if they start talking about you and, yo, you, you know, you got this and, yo, you got all this, you got chapped lips and they just going in on you. You only got two words to help you get out of this corner. Those two words is, yo mama. <laughs> I'll give you a little slang this morning. I'm going to give you a little Ebonics this morning. And whatever they say it to you, you say it back to them, but you put your mama first. Your mama is ashy. Your mama got dry chap lips. Whatever they throw at you, you say it right back to them, but you say your mama right in front of you. Because you feel so exposed, you feel so vulnerable, you feel like you are backed into a corner. In this meeting, y'all, I was backed into a corner. I'm smart, I didn't say it out loud, but in my mind, I'm like, your mama don't show up to the high schools. Your mama don't show up on time. Your mama don't train leaders, whatever it was, everything that was going on. But I had to realize it's this moment that can feel like an attack. It can feel like I'm vulnerable. It can feel like they're just trying to demean me and push me down and expose me. But it's actually a moment it's done in the right way, done in a healthy way, that is actually a place of growth. Maurice, you have been given a ministry to guide students, to lead students, to disciple students. And now, because you have this responsibility, there has to be evaluation because whatever you measure you value. And whatever you don't measure, you don't value. When you're trying to lose weight, you have to measure, you have to take track of what's taking place, what's going on. 
Wherever you are in this room this morning, I guess I'm saying all that to say that Jesus Christ has given all of us a ministry of reconciliation. When is the last time we've evaluated that ministry? When's the last time we've taken notice to measure how the scripture is rubbing up against our lives and showing us how to live when it comes to the ministry of reconciliation? What would the health of your ministry look like if your friend group were to sit down with you and evaluate your ministry of reconciliation? Well, what would your ministry of reconciliation look like if those who are in your community were to evaluate how you live your life? What would the ministry of reconciliation look like if the city in which God has placed us were to evaluate the church? This morning, I want to give us a few evaluation markers straight from Scripture, first from 2 Corinthians, that God is showing us there are markers. This isn't an ambiguous thing. Go be reconcilers. No, no, no. There are markers. There are things in which we can track, that we can keep ourselves on pace to say this is who God has called us to be. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 lays that out. And I want to be very clear. Very first point, number one, evaluation markers for our lives is that we are no, we reconcilers, we're going to be reconcilers of ministry reconciliation. We know Jesus. If we are reconcilers, we know Jesus. I say that in a way where we look at this passage, it's a very Pauline way of writing it all out. Paul is the writer here. Let me give you a few moments of just theological context here. Paul is the writer. He's a follower of Jesus. He's a Jewish by descent. He's also a businessman and also an apostle that plants churches. He's one that knows several languages, is very learned, and yet he is writing letters to churches. He's writing a letter to the church in Corinth. Corinth is a major metropolitan city. It is full of diversity. It's full of people from all different people, from different backgrounds. It is full of a marketplace and trade and all sorts of different things. And there are things that's happening within the city that are also impacting the church. So we're reading from the second letter that Paul wrote to the church But if we're going to read the second letter, we must have context for the first letter. The first letter is all about now that you are a new family, now that you are a new body of people, you will have drama and conflict. You will have drama in your new family. Just because it's church don't mean it's not no drama. Just because it's church don't mean it's not no drama. I'm going to talk to this side. Just because it's church don't mean it's not no drama. I get the emails, y'all, trust me, it's drama. But we are people that don't have it all together, but we on this road together. So we recognize that there will be conflict, there will be a clashing of some sorts. And what takes place is, is that Paul is writing that now that you are a new family, here's the drama, and he's pretty much essentially in the first letter to the church of Corinth is, take care of this drama, take care of the conflict before the conflict takes over you. Take care of the conflict before the conflict takes over you. The second letter is how we live out as a new family. Not so much around the drama. The second letter is now that you are a family, now that these things are taking place, listen, this is how you live in that city in which you are called. This is how you live in this city in which is filled with all sorts of things that's taking place. And the first thing that he lets them know is that Christ has died for us. He's a very uh, cross-centered theologian. Paul, in his own Pauline way, is always pointing people very first and foremost to the gospel. If we are going to have a healthy ministry of reconciliation as faithful followers of Jesus, we must know Jesus. We must have a relationship with Jesus. We must recognize that any sort of reconciliation that the city is going to be exposed to, that the city is going to feel, is only going to be out of the overflow of a reconciled people. That, that knowing our vertical is in order when we are holistically together, vertically with God and reconciled to God. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, and soul. When we have this together, 
We, we recognize that I can really be a reconciler because it is out of the overflow of God's love that he reconciled me when I was messed up, when I was far from Christ, when I was doing all the things that I was not supposed to be doing, when I was just living a life that was apart from my creator, when I was living life that was apart from my father, when I was living life that was apart from who Jesus has called me to be. This is a life that misses the mark. And when we come in sync with our creator, when we come in reconciliation with our father, then and only then, point number two, we must know our self and our community. Evaluation marker number one, if we are going to be reconcilers, we must know God. Point number two, if we're going to be a healthy ministry of reconciliation, we must know ourself and our community. What do I mean by know ourself? It's this great theologian that says, uh, Jesus may be in your heart, but your family is in your bones. It is this idea at, at getting to this point of uh, that you are not unscathed from your upbringing. That, that you are not missing out, or excuse me, you, you, you have not gone through this conversation and, and not been impacted by certain people, by certain messages, by certain narratives. You have not gone through life and just wake up and just say, yeah, I'm not a racist. And you step into this conversation like, well, yeah, well, I don't, I gotta, no, no, no. Jesus may be in your heart, but your family is in your bones. Your community is in your bones. And we must do the inner work to see what messages were given to me. Well, what things have taken place that is antithetical to who Jesus is? Well, we have to go and do that deep work. We have to listen to our hearts. We have to really go inward to say what messages were opposite of the message of reconciliation. See, if Jesus has given us a message of reconciliation, please be aware that the enemy will also give you several other messages. Oh, I'm in the book. Listen, let's go, go to the art. Let's go to the garden. God says, don't eat of that tree. The enemy comes with a different message. Ah, oh, you can eat from that tree. Don't worry, you're good. There's going to be several other messages outside of reconciliation. Questions that we got to really wrestle with as much as we love people, as much as people are dear to our hearts. My grandfather, Kilo Poulet, that was his name, Kilo Poulet. God rest his soul a very superhero of mine, a, a icon in my life, a man after a man, like a true man's man, a, a person who showed me all these amazing things in life and showed me how to grow up, how to be a man. He showed me so many things and carried my, our family and he, he, he discipled us in so many different ways. But because of his context in which he grew up, as a biracial man in the 40s with a German dad and a black mom. He, he's come to a point where he grew up in Compton, California, and he's a person who was a very strong black activist within the Black Panther movement. And out of all of the superhero iconic things around my grandfather, I also have to evaluate enough to say, I can hold in tension how awesome you are, and I can also critique and say, that's not how you talk about white people. What messages were given to you? How did your family talk about blank group of people? How did your family talk about the Asian community? How did your family talk about those within the black community when they saw something on television? How did your family talk about those within the Latino and Latina community when they read a new headline and article at the dinner table? Who were you taught to fear? Who were you taught is beneath you? Not in an overt way. Let's be very careful. Let's be very like, like, sensitive, like understanding here to recognize it's not always going to be, son, this person is beneath us. But, but in what ways was it lived out? That you just started to see as you reflect back, we treated this group of people in this sort of way. 
What assumptions do you make about certain groups of people? A friend of mine recently told me that uh, his mom owns a bar in Kansas, and when people from Somalia would come in that bar, she hated the way that they smelled, and she would kick them out every single time. I started uh, recently having more and more conversations with a uh, student organization at CU, Black Christians at CU, BCCU. I just, what, me and Aisha and Quincy just went up and spoke at their retreat, and some of them have shared what it means to live in Boulder and some of the things that they hear on campus. What were things that were shown to you? What were things that were taught to you? If we are going to be reconcilers like Scripture calls us to be, we must not only know Jesus, we must also know ourself and our community. What do I mean by knowing our community? I mean the community in which God has called you to, the place in which you lay your head, the place in which you stand, the place in which you are where you are. Do you know your community? Does your community know you? Do you see your life as one that is of service? There's a great priest that gets up every morning and it's said to be said that he wakes up every morning and he asks God two questions. God, what are you up to and how can I be involved? It's this assumption that he gets up and he's already actively thinking to himself, God is at work, but now it's on me to also participate. When we are going to be a people, a church that is for the good of our city and a people that is ministry, has the ministry of reconciliation, we must be a people that knows our community. How will we be a people that says, God, you're on the move. How can I be a part? God, you're on the move. How can I also be involved in what you're doing when it comes to the racial division in our world? Point number one is we must know God. Point number two is we must know ourselves and we must know our community. And I just have to parenthetically just state just for a moment, um, it's important to recognize that we are holistic people, a holistic theology, that it's not just a vertical, it's also horizontal. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second commandment is just as weighty. Love your neighbor as yourself. We don't do one without the other. And my church people, they shout on number one. Yes, Maurice, that's right. That's the answer. Know Jesus. You got to know God. I'm acting more Pentecostal. None of y'all really Pentecostal. But, you, you, you know, you get excited about number one. Yes, that's right. Jesus. You got to know Jesus. You gotta, it's all about our heavenly upward vertical. But, but, but I got to say that to assume that it's just about the vertical is to assume that there can be no racist that are Christians. Our history shows us that it is people of God under the umbrella of God that inflicted wounds on the Jewish community, on the black community, on the indigenous community. This isn't some sort of guilt trip, y'all. I need you to hear my heart. It's not just about knowing Jesus. How is that lived out? How is the sanctification process, who, which simply means $2 seminary word, becoming more like Jesus? How is it lived out? Not only vertical, but also horizontal. If our communities are going to be holistic, if our communities are going to know who God is, then we must know our communities. We must know ourselves. These are evaluation markers. We must be a people that recognize and ask the inner working questions, where am I racially biased? Where have I assumed something about a person? Where have I had racist tendencies? Some of y'all looking at me right now like, Maurice, your mama is racist. <laughs> you backed into a corner. It's all good. This is what it means for us to live in a full reconciliation of who God has called us to be. If you have a ministry of reconciliation, which every single one of us have, then we must not only be a people who know Jesus, know ourselves and our community, but also we must see ourselves as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We must see ourselves as ambassadors. There is a kingdom of heaven. Yes, we are impacting our city. We are for the good of this city, but we are motivated by a greater city. We are motivated and compelled by another city. We are compelled by a city in heaven that sits on a hill. We are compelled by a greater city, a new Jerusalem. And God has called us to unearth this thing. One of the terms that our lead pastor has coined, how do we unearth this thing? What do you mean unearth this thing? 
Well, Jesus told them, when you pray, pray, God, would you impact this world on earth as it is in heaven? Would you send your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven? We are supposed to reflect that. We are supposed to have a posture of showing people what it means to have heaven on earth, to be the, for the good of our city means we are all reconcilers in this room. And if our ministries are going to be a ministry that is alive, that is healthy, that is fruitful, then that means we are outposts. We are embassies. We are the embassy of the kingdom of heaven. We recognize that we are ambassadors. And to be an ambassador is a person who is representing another kingdom, a citizen of another kingdom. To be a citizen of another kingdom, don't get me wrong, I love our nation. I love my freedoms. I get to be black, black, blankety black, y'all. I get to listen to whatever music I want to listen to. I get to say whatever I want. I get a vote, and I get a vote, and I get to exercise that vote. I get to do the things that I want. I get to eat, drink sweet tea. I get to eat collard greens. I get to listen to hip-hop. I get to be myself. I get to express whatever I want to express. I love the freedoms that we have. But don't ever get it twisted. It is not America over the kingdom of heaven. It is not any nation in this world over the kingdom of heaven. We must be ambassadors recognizing I love my nation, but I am an ambassador. I love my city, but I am an ambassador. I love my, my state, but I am an ambassador of the King Jesus who is in another city in the new Jerusalem. We must recognize that we are an ambassador. Come on, you can give me an amen and a few hand claps. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ and the kingdom of heaven. Because we are citizens, we got to take on full responsibility of reconciliation and the ministry of reconciliation of who we represent, that people will see our good works and want to glorify our same Father in heaven. This is the book, y'all. This is, this is what Jesus called us to. So we got to make sure we take responsibility, that we don't just be a people that hides behind phrases like, I don't see color. We don't just be a people that hide behind phrases of, well, Maurice, I just live in a bolder bubble. We don't hide behind phrases that distance ourselves from other communities. Well, I want to be a part, but I don't, I don't know any people of different races. That's a true sentiment. I hear you. Uh, but we have work to do. And there's no hiding behind the suburb. There's no hiding behind, well, I don't have any friends of color. God has called us all to be a people full of ministry of reconciliation because Jesus Christ is the great reconciler. As the band makes their way to the stage, I need you all to hear me on today. That to be a people that is full of reconciliation, that to be a people that is for the good of our city, then that means communities all over the front range, all over Denver will be impacted by the kingdom of heaven. But that means we've got to get our act together. That means that we have to enter into hard conversations. That means we can't get up from the family meeting and dinner table because we disagree about something. We can't just move because we feel as if no one's here. We, we've got to be a people that stays longer than what's comfortable. And we have the ability to do so. Maurice, how do you know that? Jesus has given us the ministry. And because he is the great reconciler, because he is the one that reconciled all of us, because he lived it out for us, he came from a different culture, a different world, and entered into our world to love us, to show us a great way, a new humanity. I need you to know that the great hope of this world, of this city, of this state, of this nation is going to be through the kingdom of God through the people of God. I'm a, peop I'm a person who loves all people, who recognizes who God is. But my faith and my hope is not in government. My faith and my hope, as much as we need people in the government, is not, that's not where my hope is. As much as we need people in the marketplace doing great work around inclusion, I don't put my faith in the marketplace. As much as we need people that are in legislation and doing things and in Congress and all the different things, I don't put my hope there. As much as I'm a person who believes in protests and exercising your right and your commandment and your voice, I don't put my hope in just those things because nobody can legislate the heart, but God can change a heart. 
You can't legislate a heart, but God can change a heart. And how will people know who God is? Unless we are people sent into the world, sent into our communities, how will they know unless they see the love that we have for one another? This is scripture, y'all. How will they know that you're my disciples by the way that you love? From the very beginning, it was always the love of Jesus Christ that compels us to be a new humanity, a new people, a new family that's, that, that, that's radical, that's countercultural, that don't have it all together. Yes, we are a messed up group of people, and yes, sometimes we can be really weird. I get it. But we serve King Jesus together, and we're trying to figure it out together. That's my pastoral heart this morning. That's my pastoral passion and nudge for every single one of us, that all of us, this isn't just a one race type of thing. All of us need to do better when it comes to our ministries of reconciliation. And today are the three markers that I just gave you. God has called us all to be reconcilers, and he is sending us all to our communities. This is one song that I want, to, want you to hear on this morning, and it speaks to this idea of being sent speaks to this idea of God pushing us out of the four walls of the church, pressing us towards the margins, pressing us towards those who may be voiceless, pressing us towards our out of our comfort zones. Hear these words and hear the moments within the, the music where even where some people in the world would allow division to come in between people of God we don't, because God is calling us and God is sending us. Will we answer the call to be sent by God? In Revelation chapter seven, it gives us a detail of what heaven's gonna look like. And it shows us that when this guy named John looks into heaven, he saw every nation, tribe, and tongue all surrounded at the throne of Jesus and worshiping Jesus. We won't see the full entirety of that down here on earth, but we will see a foretaste of that. And here at Ascent, uh, I run and work with a lot of the things regarding reconciliation and run point as it relates to the ministry here at Ascent when it comes to racial reconciliation. And that's our entire heart and our entire motive. Some of the things that I just laid out for you today and also that gospel picture of every nation, every tribe and every tongue coming together. That's our hope, that's our goal, that we get a little bit of that down here on earth. We get some sort of appetizer that we can be a part of. And I'm not gonna be a person who's here and going to say we need to, that we should abdicate our responsibility. We believe that as faithful stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is our ministry to be a people that is reconciled to God and reconciled to one another. That's our whole hope. That's our whole mission. And if you're a person who's interested in that, you're a person who's looking to be a part of that conversation, that messy conversation, it's all, it ain't all you know, glitz and glamor, but that messy conversation where Jesus is at that table, that family table of diversity of thought and diversity of opinion and diversity of background, I invite you to be a part of that. I invite you to join us. We're starting a book club next month and we're gonna be pressing into more of this conversation, that we keep this conversation in front of us because every single one of us has a ministry of reconciliation. Maurice, I don't know enough. You're still called by God to be a reconciler. Maurice, I got some skepticism. I know, but you're called by God to be a reconciler. But Maurice, I'm black, I'm white, I'm Asian. I know, but you're called by God to be a reconciler. This is what it means to be people that is on mission for God. And that is our heart. This next song speaks about that heaven, that glimpse of heaven. And it simply says, heaven on earth. That's sort of the essence of it, that we will have heaven on earth. Would you stand to your feet and just worship with us as a community that sings about a heaven of all people, all nations, and all tribes coming together 